the nursery looks like. All right, we are in Amos. The book of Amos. <coughs> and uh, we'll read the last three verses of chapter four for introduction this evening. I have overthrown some of you as God overthrew Sodom and Gomorrah, and you were as a firebrand plucked out of the burning. Uh, yet have you not returned unto me, saith the Lord. Therefore thus will I do unto thee, O Israel, and because I will do this unto thee, prepare to meet thy God, O Israel. For lo, he that formeth the mountains and createth the wind and declareth unto man what, it is, what is his thought, that maketh the morning darkness and treadeth upon the high places of the earth. The Lord, the God of hosts, is his name. Um, let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you uh, for your word tonight. And, and uh, I just pray, Heavenly Father, for the filling of your spirit uh, to minister your word to, to your church tonight. And I thank you for the good services this morning and for the preaching of the word that uh, went forth. And uh, for your spirits, just help and understanding and applying, dear God, those things uh, that we learn. And <clears throat> I just pray that uh, you be with Sister Sand the nursery tonight, with your spirit watching the children. And, and once again, Lord, in our hearts, we look to you, and uh, we pray that you would help us to worship you in spirit and in truth, and thereby we would be edified, grow more to be like Christ, and through that you would be glorified as we uh, acknowledge all that you have given uh, and done for us in, in Jesus Christ. And Father, uh, help us to be careful to praise your name uh, for every hand, uh, every, every indication of your hand in our lives. And Father, we pray and ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. All right. Well, we started down through chapter 4 of Amos last week made it most of the way down uh, through the chapter. Uh, we saw in chapter 4 that God likened them to their idols. Uh, they worshiped the golden calves. He referred to them as kind, uh, uh, naming them after their false worship. Uh, he warned them of the coming Assyrian invasion and, uh, and, uh, and the dispersion in which they would be carried away with fish hooks, uh, one of the Assyrian cruelties which they would inflict upon their captives. Uh, and he, he, we saw in chapter 4 also that to Israel, for their obedience, he has sent them drought and rain and such. And he's done it in such a way that it would be unmistakable that it was his hand. It was not merely fortuitous. Uh, they should have known that God was judging him, God judging them. And all the while, he's calling them to repentance there. And we saw in verse 11 here, he says, he says I've overthrown some of you as God overthrew Sodom and Gomorrah. It was a firebrand plucked out of the burning, yet have you not returned unto me? Uh, thus, therefore, will, uh, therefore, thus will I do unto thee, O Israel, and because I will do this unto thee, prepare to meet thy God, O Israel. So God is preparing to judge them for their sins. Uh, he's been calling and calling and calling and calling, and uh, they're not turning, and uh, so judgment is going to come. He is prepared uh, to bring them to death, if necessary, in their rebellion. And uh, uh, Jesus Christ holds the key of uh, death and hell. And, uh, uh, and God viewed them in, their, in his working with them 
he's been chasing them for a while and he uh he mentions about uh about uh you were as a firebrand plucked out of the burning so uh he, he views them kind of as nearly consumed under the judgments he's already put upon them uh, in, in trying to reach them and get them to turn uh, from their sins we might remember during this time uh, uh, that Amos is uh, prophesying. Uh, there was some rough times and some merciful times in Israel. Uh, in, uh, in 2 Kings chapter 14 and uh, 26, the scripture says, The Lord saw the affliction of Israel, that it was very bitter, for there was not any shut up, nor any left, nor any helper for Israel. So uh, during Amos' time, there was some very bitter circumstances in Israel. Of course, there was some mercy, too. God allowed them to extend their borders through Jeroboam, uh, so much so that uh, Damascus and such was, was under uh, their, their, their control at that time. Uh, but, uh, but yet, uh, they're not turning to God. There was great affliction there as well. Uh, God says, I've, you're like a firebrand plucked out of the fire. You know, it's like, how much more can I, you know, how, how much, how much can you, you, you can only burn a piece of wood so much, you know, you throw it back in the fire, it doesn't seem to burn anymore, you know, and uh, is it going to do, is it going to do any good if I keep judging you? You're like a firebrand plucked out of the fire. What more can I do uh, 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 to get you to turn? So he says, prepare, uh, uh, prepare to meet uh, thy God. And I thought it was interesting uh, the way that some uh, had commented on this, uh, indicating that uh, depending upon the heart of the receiver, that, 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 that uh, exhortation there, prepare to meet thy God of Israel, can be taken in a, in a number of ways. Uh, uh, prepare, to meet, uh, prepare to meet your God as a challenge uh, for those in Israel uh, who would challenge God, perhaps as Belteshazzar challenged God uh, this morning, but Brother Chris was talking about, prepare to meet the high God, prepare to be humbled at the stroke of, uh, at the lightest stroke of a finger on the wall. Uh, you think you can conquer me? Uh, well, I'm coming. Now, you and I will have a contest, and we'll see how well you fare. Uh, so to the rebellious, uh, it can be, the heart, it can be taken that way. Prepare to meet thy God. Uh, to the heart that's going to repent, it can be, well, do just that. Prepare to meet thy God. Repent. Do what I'm saying. Turn unto me and seek. Uh, because the judgment is coming. You can meet me in that way. Uh, you can repent. And we know that even though the nation of Israel and, and, and the southern kingdom of Judah, got, got, you know, they got carried away, yet individuals were, were cared for by God. Uh, they were cared for in those foreign lands because they were among the individuals who did repent, even though the, the nations, in, in a sense, were judged as a whole. So for that person, well, then repent. And, uh, and, uh, and, and you won't have to face what others would, would, would face in, at, that, at that measure. And perhaps it's uh, to those who would dismiss the urgency, oh, it's, it's just a far off, you know, let's just keep living like, like we're living. We have all this money, you know, now, that, especially the deceitful rich here. Uh, God must be blessing us. Just keep on going on. Uh, well, to those who would dismiss the urgency, uh, you, they can take it as a summons. Prepare to meet your God. Time's up. Uh, time's up. It's going to happen. Uh, judgment is coming. So it can be taken multiple ways, depending on how your heart receives it. And God, meet, God meets us, you know, as as we yield our as as we yield or don't yield uh, uh, our our heart to Him. Verse thirteen: For lo, He that formeth the mountains and created the wind. And declareth unto man what is his thought, that maketh the morning darkness, and treadeth upon the high places of the earth. The Lord, the God of hosts, is his name. Uh, the Lord, uh, the God of hosts is his name. The Lord, uh, Jehovah, 
He's the self-existing God. And we sang from everlasting to everlasting, thou art God. He's the only being who never had a beginning. Uh, he, now he is the beginning of, 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 of all things. And he has existed eternally and will continue to exist uh, by his own power. Uh, and, uh, and so uh, uh, he is the God and the only God. And uh, we, we worship him uh, through his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, God, he says in, in, verse, thir in verse 13 there, uh, uh, de describing his greatness, he forms the mountain, creates the wind. He says, and declareth unto man what is his thought. Uh, God can tell you uh, uh, what you're thinking of right now. He, he knows exactly what, what your thought is, what my thought is. He can declare what, you're, what, 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 what we are thinking about anytime, any moment of the day. He knows man's thought. And uh, only God can do that. Matter of fact, this was what helped convince the disciples of... Thank you, Brother Charlie. This, was, this, was help, this is what helped convince the disciples of the, uh, of the deity of the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, when he was talking about uh, going away from them for a while, and they would be sad, but they would rejoice. They were a little confused about that, and, and uh, the scripture tells us uh, uh, about that. And they said in John 16, 17, What is this that he saith unto us, A little while, and ye shall not see me. And again, a little while, and ye shall see me. And because I go to the Father. And they said, Therefore, what is this that he saith? A little while. We cannot tell what he, what, what he, what he, what he saith. What, what is he saying? Now, Jesus knew that they were desirous to ask him. They hadn't spoken it to him. And said unto them, Do ye inquire among yourselves of that I said a little while, and ye shall not see me, and again, again a little while, and ye shall see me? And so he went on and explained what that was. He says, The Father himself loveth you because ye have loved me, and I believe that I came out from God. I came forth from the Father and then come into the world. Again, I leave the world and go to the Father. His disciples said, Lo, now speakest thou plainly. All we see, you came down from God, from heaven. You didn't start in Mary's womb. Uh, you came down and put on a body. Uh, in Mary, you came down from God to do that. You're now going back to God. He says, uh, Now we are sure you know all things. And needest not that any man should ask thee. You don't even need us to ask the question. We were mowing that among ourselves. We haven't shared that with you. By this we believe that thou camest forth from God. Only God can do that. Uh, you, you, just, you just answered our thoughts. You just declared our thoughts and answered our question before we even asked it. We know that you're divine. We know that you're not just human, and, uh, and, uh, but that you are God in the flesh. And so they, so, so they believe that. And, uh, and uh, Jesus questioned them on that and showed them uh, further there that their faith was going to need yet to grow. Uh, but we continue on in Amos chapter 5 and verse 1. Hear ye this word which I take up against you, even a lamentation, O house of Israel. The virgin of Israel is fallen. She shall no more rise. She is forsaken upon her land. There is none to raise her up. For thus saith the Lord God, The city that went out by a thousand shall leave an hundred, and that which went forth by a hundred shall leave ten uh, to the house of Israel. So what is God saying here? Well, there's going to be great desolation uh, when the Assyrians come. 
and uh, and frankly, this desolation is going to be so overwhelming that a city used to that used to send out an army of a thousand is just going to have a hundred uh, war-torn warriors to, to send anywhere. Uh, uh, and uh, one that had a hundred, they're only going to have ten left. They're going to be the, such desolation from this destruction that that uh, that their numbers, as far as the strength of the troops and stuff, they're going to be they're going to be dwindled uh, down to comparatively uh, nothing. Uh, the sad part, you know, that Amos, God through Amos, likens Israel to a young woman. To, he says, he says, thou virgin uh, of Israel, he says, he likens Israel to a young woman who has fallen in the streets in the midst of the fray, in the midst of the battle. She's been forsaken of all help. She should have had fruitful years ahead, but now she's helpless. No one will turn back to lift her up. She's, she is left to the hands of cruel and violent men. And what a sad picture. What a sad picture. That's not what God intended for Israel. And yet that's where they brought themselves. That's where they brought themselves. Uh, and, uh, but we see God's pity there. How the, though they're worthy of all that's coming their way, he still pities them with that kind of a picture. And uh, that, that, they're, that, they're, that they're turning from him. And uh, uh, what an amazing thing. Uh, for thus saith the Lord, verse 4, unto the house of Israel, Seek me, and ye shall live. There it is, isn't it? Seek me, and ye shall live. Uh, you know, we, uh, God wants us to seek him. He's designed this creation to point us to, uh, to, to, this, to this endeavor of seeking him. We'll see that a little bit more as we go on here. Uh, but he wants them to repent. He doesn't want to bring this judgment upon them. Uh, he wants them to repent. You might be reminded of the same plea earlier from the prophet Joel. God speaking through him. Joel 2.12 Therefore also now saith Lord, turn ye even to me with all your heart, and with fasting, and with weeping, with mourning. Rend your heart, uh, uh, not your garments. The Jews had a thing where if they were for repent, to show their repentance, they would tear their garments. Well, God says, I'm not impressed. <laughs> if, you and that, if you're doing that for a show and your heart is not torn or broken over your sins, it is of no avail. A broken spirit and a contrite heart, uh, O Lord, thou wilt not despise. Uh, so it's got to be the, it's got to be from the heart. And he wants them, uh, he rends your heart. Remember that Joel said, for, uh, uh, for he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger. He may take this plague away. We may find forgiveness. And uh, Joel had spoken uh, kind, of, uh, kind of the same thing. Uh, and uh, God has designed that the heathen, that everybody in the world would, would, would seek for God. He wants them to. Uh, remember the apostle Paul when he was preaching in Athens and uh, waiting for Timothy and the others to come and see him there. And as he's preaching there in Athens and he says, uh, I passed by and held your devotions. I found an altar. They had all kinds of uh, gods that they worshipped on the Acropolis there. And uh, he said, I found your devotions. I found an altar with this inscription, to the unknown God. They had so many false gods they worshipped. They thought, well, I wonder if we missed a god somewhere. <laughs> so they had, they, they had a tomb for the unknown God. What an amazing thing when there's only one God. They didn't know him, okay? And uh, to the unknown God. And Paul says, I found an altar with this inscription, to the unknown God whom therefore ye ignorantly worship. Him declare I unto you. Since you're worshiping all these gods, you obviously don't know the right one, so the unknown God must be the real one. I'll tell you who he is. And so he begins to declare to him uh, uh, the true God. 
He goes on in Acts 17, 24, God that made the world and all things therein, seeing that he is Lord of heaven and earth, dwelleth not in temples made with hands, neither is worship with men's hands as though he needeth anything, seeing he giveth to all life and breath and all things. That breath you just breathed, God gave you that. Uh, that heart being in you, God gave you that. Uh, and uh, he goes on, he hath made of one blood all nations of men for to dwell on the earth. That's right. He's made us all of, uh, of uh, there is one race, the human race. Uh, there is one blood. Uh, it, is, it, is, it, is, it is red blood. Uh, there is one problem uh, with man. It is sin. There is one answer. It is the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. And, uh, and that's, the message that, that's the message that the world needs. Uh, he hath made of one blood all nations of men to dwell on the face of the earth, hath determined the times before appointed, the bounds of their habitation, that they should, what? Seek the Lord. If happily they might feel after him and find him, though he be not far from every one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being. God has made this world. Anybody who looks at this creation and denies there is a creator has, has rejected the light that God has sent them and left in their conscience. God is saying, I'm here. This couldn't have happened by accident, by, by chance, like the evolutionists tell us. Impossible. Look at the creation. Know there's a God. Now start seeking him. Find out who he is. You start searching him and for him, and guess what? And if you will be, you say, I will, I will not be satisfied until I find out who God is. Guess what? Seek and ye shall find. If, if you're not satisfied until you know the truth about God, you won't quit until you know the truth. No matter how much it costs you, it may cost you all your health. It may cost you all your wealth. It may cost you all your fun. It may cost you whatever else you want to seek. But if you'll seek him first, you'll find him. Amen. Uh, he, 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 you'll find him. Well, if you just want to have fun in life, that's what you'll find. If you just want to seek uh, money and riches in life, that's what you'll find. Uh, seek and you shall find. You want the truth? Uh, then you will end up, God will lead you to Jesus Christ. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes unto the Father but by me. And so God has designed this great creation to point to him, and he has provided a Savior for us, the Lord Jesus Christ. Seek me, God says. Uh, and, and ye shall live. Verse 5, But seek not Bethel, neither enter into Gilgal, and pass not to Beersheba, for Gilgal shall surely go into captivity, and Bethel shall come to naught. Now as we think about these places that God has named, it's kind of a sad story for Israel, really, because these places should have been uh, watermarks of spiritual events for the nation of Israel. These were places of great spiritual events for their origins. Uh, Beersheba is one of the places he named. Beersheba is where, is where Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob dwelt. Uh, they, all, they, all, they all dwelt in Beersheba. But God says, don't seek there. We'll talk about that in a moment. That should have been a, that should have been a place of spiritual encouragement for them. They should have remembered their beginnings there spiritually with, with, with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, each receiving that, that commission from God and, and, uh, and that, that blessing from God that through them all the nations of the earth would be blessed. That should have been a spiritual help. Uh, uh, Beersheba. One of the, another, one, another one was Bethel. 
Bethel was what? Beth, Bethel was where Jacob met God when he was leaving uh, to, go find, uh, uh, to go find a wife. And remember, he had the dream there where he saw the ladder and, and angels of God ascending and descending upon it. He saw that dream, had that dream. And, and there God told Jacob, Thy seed shall be as the dust of the earth, and thou shalt spread abroad to the west, to the, to the east, to the north, to the south. And in thee and in thy seed shall all families of the earth be blessed. And so they should have, that should have been a spiritual blessing to them to remember that place. What other place did he name? Don't seek Gilgal. That should have been a spiritual blessing to them. That was the first place that Israel encamped when they crossed the Jordan there with Joshua. They encamped there in, 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 in Gilgal. Gilgal means a rolling away and such. And, and in Joshua 5.8, it says this about Gilgal. Joshua 5.8 It came to pass when they had done circumcising all the people they did that again when they crossed Jordan the new, the new generation they abode in their places in the camp till they were whole and the Lord said unto Joshua this day have I rolled away there you get that name Gilgal rolled away the reproach of Egypt from off you wherefore the name of the place is called Gilgal unto this day and the children of Israel encamped in Gilgal and kept the Passover there. They're keeping the Passover even. The 14th day of the month at, at even in the plains of Jericho. So it should have been a place of spiritual encouragement uh, and, uh, and spiritual uh, strength for them. God said, this day have I rolled the reproach of Israel from off thee. What is he talking of the reproach of Egypt from off thee? Well, well, what were they for those 400 years, 430 years or so? They were slaves in Israel. I mean, in, in Egypt, they were a possession of the Egyptians. They had been, matter of fact, they would have disappeared as a nation had they stayed there. Uh, at the time that God called them out, they were killing all the males at that time. They would have been absorbed into Egypt. And they would have not continued to exist as, as a nation. And yet, they went out of the wilderness, into the wilderness. And where do they want to return to time and time again? <laughs> They kept on wanting to right, go right back to Egypt. Matter of fact, they got right up to the Jordan and what happened? They didn't want to go in. They didn't have the faith. And, and, and they said, well, let's go back to Egypt. And all the time they were on that side of the Jordan, it was always, they were always looking back. Always looking back. But you know what? By the time they crossed with Joshua, God's gotten rid of that generation. Matter of fact, the only two left of that generation of the warriors were what? Caleb and Joshua. And, uh, and there was no looking back with those two guys. And so the reproach of Egypt was rolled off of them. Now they're looking forward. Now they're truly the beginning of the nation here. They're not looking back, yearning, but yearning for their slavehood once again and, and, and to belong to Egypt. And to, They're not there anymore. Uh, uh, now they're looking ahead. They're looking for the things that God has them in the promised land. He's rolled that reproach off of them and, uh, uh, through, through the, the, the mighty works that, that, that he's done. <clears throat> Uh, Gilgal was new the new generation a new parting of the waters Jordan uh, they moved into the promised land uh, the manna had ceased the Jordan is at their back and has returned to overflowing uh, there's, no, there's no going back God has in a sense burned the bridges behind them their land and their lives lie before them as God's called out people in God's nation and so God had, had rolled back the reproach uh, off of Gilgal uh, or off of Egypt from them so why not go to these places? They, they, they didn't hold those up before their children. They became places of idolatry like any others. And now there was nothing, there was nothing spiritual remembered. 
Uh, now they, 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 it was all sold out to the false gods. Don't even go to those places. Why? Because they'd set up their false worship there too. And uh, what, what a sad story. We'd have some watermarks for our children, some spiritual marks for our children, amen, and share how God delivered us and how God provided for us. And we ought to share that with them time and time again. And, uh, and uh, we ought to do that. Uh, and uh, what should have been landmarks of courage became places of idolatry uh, and vain worship where God has to actually tell them to avoid them, to avoid them. What a sad, sad story. Matthew six twenty four. No man can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. <laughs> Uh, you can only love one supremely. Uh, God is worthy of all of our love. Why? Because he created us and he showed the greatest love in dying for us. Amen. Greater love hath no man than this, that a man laid down his life for his friends. And that's what Jesus did. And he laid his life down his life for our souls and that our sins might be forgiven and that we might be in eternity uh, in heaven, in, in, in eternity with him one day. Uh, hallelujah, what a Savior, amen. And, uh, and, and so he's worthy of all of our love. You can't love, you can only love one first. And the first one who deserves, most of our, deserves all of our love is Jesus. And, uh, and God wants, us, wants that kind of worship. Uh, verse 6, Seek the Lord, ye shall live, lest he break out like fire in the house of Joseph and devour it, uh, that there be none to quench it in Bethel. Uh, so judgment's ready to fall. Uh, God's judgment is compared to a, devour, to a devouring fire, oftentimes in the prophets, even in the book of Hebrews, uh, Hebrews 12, 29, for our God is what? A consuming fire. Uh, his judgment, remember, he already talked about them being like a, uh, like a firebrand plucked out of the fire uh, for the judgments he'd already brought upon them. So uh, judgment's ready to fall. Uh, uh, the Bible says about says and I and I believe uh, uh, personally that he is uh, that he is uh, speaking to Christians. He says, "If we sin willfully after we receive the knowledge of the truth, there remaineth no more sacrifice for sins, but a fearful looking for of judgment and fiery indignation, which shall devour the adversaries." Uh, if you love the world, you are what an enemy of God, aren't you? You are you are acting as an adversary of God. Uh, and, uh, and God will judge even to the point of death uh, uh, for those who, who forsake him. Uh, and uh, uh, he that despised Moses' law without mercy under two or three witnesses, how much sore of punishment suppose ye shall be thought worthy of trodden underfoot the Son of God, hath counted the blood of the covenant wherewith where he was sanctified, an unholy thing hath made despite under the spirit of grace, done despite. For we know him that hath said, Vengeance belongeth unto me, I will recompense, saith the Lord, and the Lord shall judge his people. His people. Talking about judgment uh, upon his people. Uh, verse 7. Uh, you turn judgment into wormwood and leave off righteousness in the earth. So what is God doing here? He is showing, talking about their hypocritical worship again. Uh, it's been all through here, throughout the book of Amos as we see it. Wormwood has the idea of bitterness, a cursing. Uh, and so uh, uh, their judgment, what, what, when they should have judged right from wrong, when they should have had the fair business practice and such, what were they doing? The opposite, lies. Uh, they were taking bribes. And, uh, and so the judgment of the elders and, you know, and, and those at the gate in the city was all what? It was all corruption. 
It was all wormwood. Uh, uh, remember in Revelation, the Bible talks about the star called wormwood falls into the waters, and the waters become what? Bitter. Uh, so the people that drink it, it's, you know, die and such. Uh, but uh, that, that bitterness, uh, uh, bitterness, they celebrate the feasts and tithe, but they don't practice righteousness in the earth. They leave the feast. They don't, they don't apply godliness to their daily lives. Their judgment in their daily lives and practices is bitter and cursed before God. Uh, then verse 8, he says, Seek, ye, seek him that maketh the seven stars and Orion. Seek him that maketh the seven stars and Orion. Now, uh, Amos, of course, was a shepherd. And the shepherds would have known these constellations. We think about them. Uh, we find uh, uh, the uh, the Hebrew word for that, the seven stars. It's also translated uh, Pleiades in Job chapter nine and verse eight. In Job, same Hebrew word, uh, Job chapter nine and verse eight, talking about God's greatness and God's grandeur. Job says, "God, which alone spreadeth out the heavens and treadeth upon the waves of the sea." which maketh Arcturus and Orion and Pleiades and the chambers uh, of the south. And so uh, uh, he talks about these, about these, about these, uh, these uh, constellations that God has made. What does that have to do with, with the context? Well, uh, the, the constellation of Pleiades is made up of seven stars. It's translated uh, uh, seven stars here. It's translated Pleiades uh, in, uh, in, in Job 9-8. Uh, in Job and uh, uh, in Job 38-31, we, uh, we see Job says, Can, Canst thou bind the sweet, the sweet influence of Pleiades or loose the bands of Orion? The joys... So, so, what, so what's he talking about here? Well, Pleiades in the northern hemisphere, uh, the shepherds would know this. Uh, Pleiades was most easily seen in the springtime, and it had the, had the idea with the joy of spring and life and and such. So, no doubt, what's Job referring to when he says the sweet influences of Pleiades, and so uh, so that that would put, bring to the mind. Oh, I see that. Well, it's springtime. It's time to you know uh, uh, we're coming out of winter, and of course Orion uh, is the other. It is a, it is a harbinger of winter. When they would have the bitter storms of rain and such, and many times bitter cold, uh, perhaps comparable to judgment, Orion, the bands of Orion. Uh, uh, there's a lot you can't do in, in the winter time. You know, when, when you're a shepherd and when and, and when you're a farmer. And, uh, and 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 by the way, who's who's made both of those? You know, who makes the who makes the sweet things of life and who brings the judgments? God does, doesn't he? As a matter of fact, he's talking about both right here, isn't he? He's saying, if you will seek me and live, uh, you will seek me, you will live. You'll know the, sweet, the sweetness of life. If you don't seek me, what? Judgment is coming. You know, we often refer to, to spring as, as, as a lifetime springs up. We look at winter as the time death. You know, fall comes on, all the trees die and stuff like that. And so we see those, uh, we, we see those related to those constellations because of the time that they're most visible in the sky. Uh, uh, to those in the, nor in the northern hemisphere. And so uh, God's in control of all those things. And, uh, and it would speak uh, uh, to those shepherds who would see them uh, in, 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 their, in their appointed times. And so he says, uh, <clears throat> Seek him that maketh the seven stars and, uh, and, and Orion. <clears throat> <clears throat> uh, 
and turneth the shadow of death into, into the morning, and maketh the day dark with the night, that calleth for the waters of the sea, and poureth them out upon the face of the earth. The Lord is, is his name. So, uh, so seek him, the one that does these things. He turns the shadow of death into morning. What's he talking about there? Well, that's a Hebraism, and it talks about the, about the densest darkness. Uh, the, the shadow of death there. It's not talking about uh, uh, sin or actually die, dying there. It's a Hebraism for the densest darkness. Perhaps when the sky is, he's talking about Pleiades and, and Orion. When, when, at night, you know, when you have the space, you have that black, you, know, in between, you have the black black in between the stars, you know. Uh, maybe, maybe, uh, maybe that's the idea. Turn the shadow of death into morning. When the morning comes, uh, what happens? Well, you, you, don't, you don't see the black of space anymore. You know, what, what's seemed as black as black could be you don't see it all anymore and when, the, when the daylight comes it's gone and then what does God do uh, God do at uh, at night again and make it the day dark with night and he turns it back around and and, and he makes the day dark dark once again God is powerful God is in control seek this one who made all that stuff you're watching up there that amazing stuff that you don't have full understanding about he made them all and uh, and he says uh, he says seek him uh, they call the waters of the sea and poureth them out upon the face of the earth. And now there, that's interesting. What do we have there? We have what we know today as the water cycle uh, that calls for the water of the seas and poureth them out on the face of the earth. We know the water cycle. Uh, the sun, sun shines and, and the water evaporates from the sea. Of course, uh, it, it's evaporating, so the salt stays down. Pure water goes up into the clouds. The clouds come over, and you can't get any pure water than rainwater, except perhaps maybe snow. Uh, but then it rains on the mountains. That pure water flows back into the water, back through the, through the mountains, picks up some impurities and all that, gathers some junk and all that, goes back into the sea, gets purified by the salt, uh, and then it gets evaporated up again, and God made that cycle and there we see that God being in, in, in control of all that and uh, 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 I was looking up you know what, what do scientists say what, what do they say in the secular realm about when the water cycle was discovered and uh, uh, one website uh, said this uh, said uh, Bernard Palissy first published the first published thinker to assert that rainfall was all that was needed for the maintenance of the rivers is also credited for the discovery of the water cycle 1580 <laughs> 1580 well folks we read about it in our Bible before then okay uh, so he's a little behind the times some go back a little earlier and they quote uh, Aristotle as saying this the stuff which has been drawn up is bound is bound to cool, and having cooled turns to water and comes down. It is merely concurrent that this having happened, the corn grows, hence the hydrological of water, uh, uh, or water cycle, at least in Europe, was known by Aristotle's time, and so by 350 B.C. Well, we got, well, we got you beat there too, okay? Amos is before that time. Uh, so, so God made it, and he is telling us what was going on, and, uh, and that's the God, that, that is the God that we worship. The Lord is his name, the self-existent one. So worship him, uh, uh, call upon him, and, uh, and find deliverance in this time that he is ready to judge. Uh, verse 9, he's the one that strengtheneth the spoiled against the strong, so that the spoiled shall come against the fortress. But God, why call out to you now? We're worn down to nothing. We're weak and weary. 
How can we defend against anybody? Listen, God doesn't need your strength or mine. Uh, God gives us victory. He wants us to trust in his strength. Amen. Yes, he, yeah, yeah, he does require us to give it all we got, even if all you got's that much, okay? Uh, but, he, but he gives us the victory, doesn't he? Uh, God's, not, God's not interested in half-hearted disciples. Uh, you know, we talk about trusting the Lord's strength. He doesn't need our strength. Some people get the picture of that's the idea where once you get saved, you pull up a hammock, you know, and then whatever God, since you can't do anything, whatever God wants to do, he zaps you, and, uh, and now all of a sudden you want to do it, and you have the power to do it. That's not it. That's not how it works. The Bible, all, the Bible says, worship the Lord thy God with what? With all thy heart, with all thy soul. You know, with all thy might, with all thy strength, with all thy mind. Give it all you got. Someone said like this, like this. Work like everything depends upon you and pray like everything depends upon God. <laughs> because that's really what God requires. Because many times we don't learn the lesson. See, unless we try our hardest to live godly, we won't be convinced that we fail. We'll never be convinced that we fail until we've run out of us. When I've given only when I've given it all I got and I fail, and then I and then I pray to God and I get delivered, I know it was God. You see. That's what I learned that lesson. If we've never given it all our God, given all we had, and then failed and wept about, uh, about that failing and then found that deliverance. We haven't experienced yet what God wants us to experience. Because then we know we learn to rest in that strength of His. And we learn that, that resting in that strength doesn't mean we pull out a hammock. <laughs> you know, no. It means that, that we do what we can do. You see, God will, God will not do what we can do. But He will do what we can do. And He will not do what we can't do until we do what we can do. You see that? He requires all of us, all the time, our whole being, in, in, in our worship of Him. Uh, it doesn't matter. And we'll close with this thought here. Uh, what, oh, what's the sense in, in, uh, in calling out, uh, now God, we're, we're, we're half destroyed, we're, we're weak? Uh, well, that, that doesn't get it because God can deliver. What are we saying? He is able to deliver thee. Though, though by sin oppressed, what? Come to him for rest. My God is able to deliver thee. It doesn't matter how far you've wandered. It doesn't matter what sins you've committed. Uh, you, you confess those to God. Uh, no, no human being confess them to the Lord Jesus Christ, who's the Savior, and he will forgive, and, uh, and God will lift you up. I think about that, about those great the saints who knew that that strengtheneth the spoil against the strong so the spoil shall come against the fortress I think about Joshua as he commanded them going into that promised land he says cleave unto the Lord your God as ye have done this day for the Lord hath driven out from before you great nations and strong but as for you no man hath been able to stand before you unto this day one man of you shall chase a thousand for the Lord your God, he it is that fighteth for you he hath prom and hath promised you, as he promised you. When God's with you, it doesn't matter how many who, who is against you. Uh, when God's with you and wants to give you the victory and you want to claim that victory, God will give you that victory. And it doesn't matter if all the armies of the world are against you. Amen. The spoiled can defeat the strong. Uh, oh, how the saints knew that. I think of Jonathan. What a... 
What a testimony of Jonathan. What a godly man. Uh, Jonathan, uh, as they're pondering how they're going to defeat these Philistines, he looks at his armor bearer, and Jonathan said to the young man that bare his armor, Come and let us go over to the garrison of these uncircumcised. It may be the Lord will work for us, for there is no restraint to the Lord to save by many or by few. <laughs> if God will give us his victory, he'll give it to us. Remember God with Gideon? Too many, Gideon. <laughs> We're going to whittle you down until you only got 300 men left against those innumerable uh, Midianites. And then out, then you'll know it was me that gave you the victory. And, and, he, and he did just that, didn't he? He did just that. What did Isaiah tell us in Isaiah 40, verse 30 and 31? Even the youths shall faint and be weary. The young men shall utterly fall. Look at those armies. They got all the young bucks out there. They got the new armor and, and all the strength. Even the youths shall faint and be weary. The young men shall utterly fall. Where is the strength? But they what? That wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Why? Because we, can tr we trust in the one who gives, who give the one who, who has been spoiled, gives him the victory over the conqueror, uh, over the one who's stronger. And God will do that um, if we trust in him. So many things we see in God's character as he deals with his, with his nation uh, through the prophets, trying to get them to obey because it's the best thing for them, being merciful for so long, reminding them of the promises, of the grand things that he's done for them, of the grand strength and wisdom that is available to them in the word of God, and constantly calling them back to them, but bringing judgment and chastisement in the measure that it's needed at exactly the right time. Uh, we can learn so many things in our Christian life from that. You know, God's character has never changed. He's the same. He, he, he's the same God. He's dealing with us a little differently through Jesus Christ uh, than he did uh, back then, of course. Uh, and so uh, we learn about those things here in the Word of God, and we, and we apply that. But I'm thankful that, uh, that God is love, uh, that God is holy, uh, uh, that God is all those things, and, and uh, that he's merciful. <laughs> And, uh, and I'm thankful for all that God is because uh, he's perfect. If he lacked any of what he is, he wouldn't be perfect. If he, if he, if he needed something yet that he didn't, didn't already have, he wouldn't be perfect. But we serve a perfect and a loving and a holy God. Dear God, I thank you for your blessings and goodness. And Father, it's amazing to see these prophets who boldly would stand up, even Amos, who... Uh, far as we know wasn't related to any former prophets or uh, uh, in, in that sense was just a shepherd uh, uh, keeping uh, his flock in the field and, and you called him to be a prophet and, and then he had the boldness to come and speak in the manner that he did uh, to leaders who hated you uh, who had long forsaken your word and yet you were wanting them back that's amazing too you had sent him to call them back and Father, we thank you for that. We thank you that, that, uh, that we know that Amos was just a human being. Uh, and uh, even Elijah was a man of like passions as we are, the Bible says. And so we can do what you want us to do. Uh, we can speak the word that you want us to speak to others. We can do the work that you want us to do uh, in ministry to others. Father, if we'll trust in you, and I pray you'd help us to do that.
and to grow uh, in the grace and knowledge of those things. Father, And help us to be careful to thank you and praise you. Lord, we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.